for those of you listening that aren't um, employees of Sound, uh, I, April is accessible. Here's her phone number. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> April truly is accessible by phone. And if you join the org, we'll give you her cell phone number. This is On Call. Well, this would be really cool to just wear scrubs all the time. Then you don't have to think about what you're going to wear to work. Joke That's is awesome. It. We're here to answer your questions. We can sit down and discuss all Wait, I got to go. I'm on call. Wait, you're on call? I thought I was on call. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. For those joining us, this is our first, we'll call this, what, our inaugural, inaugural episode? Uh, episode number one of On Call with April and Alicia. I am Alicia, and joining me is my partner, my confidant, uh, the macaroni to my cheese, the meatball to my spaghetti. This is April Burke. Hi, April. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi. How are you, Abe? I'm good. How are you? Happy Friday. Thanks. Always a good day. I'm sorry, what? Friday's always a good day. Friday's a great day until it's Monday. So for those of us, uh, this obviously is our first episode. For those of us that don't know who we are, my name is Alicia Sheffer. Uh, I am the National Director for Ambassadors for Sound Physicians. I am a nurse practitioner. I've worked for Sound since 2017. Currently, our, you know, our focus for ambassadors is working on, you know, offsetting temporary labor, third-party labor for the organization, improving culture in our sites by offsetting temporary labor. April is way more interesting than I am. April, why don't we tell the peeps about you? Sure. I'm April Work. I'm the Vice of Advanced Practice Providers here at Sound. So have been a PA for about 15 years. I've been here with Sound for eight years. Came in as a bedside clinician working at a hospital in Maryland where I live and have had some various different director level roles before taking on my current role a little over a year ago. So I work uh, closely with all of our sites to integrate advanced practice providers throughout our teams and I'm really here for anything they need uh, related to their APPs. And so my colleague here, Alicia, is not a rule follower. However, I tend to be. She was supposed to tell you something about herself, which she did not do. But I will tell all of you, I think this is something that I've never even told Alicia, even though we worked together for many years. Just a fun tidbit is that in my high school superlatives, I was voted to be the nicest uh, in the class. And so I hope that you'll appreciate that as you see our dynamic through our podcast over time. Yes, April, you know, I don't follow rules and I don't probably read instructions. So uh, all I'll say is my high school superlative didn't exist because I probably didn't show up for the superlatives. (laughs) That is not at all surprising. uh, The great thing about this is like you guys as listeners will align with one of us (laughs) and uh, at least get your needs met that way. But April has been a very dear friend of mine, not just a colleague, but a dear friend of mine for a really long time. And I could not be more excited to to be taking this venture on with her and, and discussing all things healthcare and our, you know, personal endeavors in our career. So, um, April, thank you for this opportunity. I truly thank you for that. Yeah, I'm excited. So since this is a new platform for us, you know, we've we've talked about just things that are going on in our lives and and we are going to get re- obviously into the the content of the episode, but I you know, there's been a lot of stress in healthcare recently and I'm curious what your week has looked like, what what's life looked like for you as the the VP of Advanced Practice for Sound, what kind of things are you facing and just I don't know, maybe tell me a little bit about life right now. Yeah. I mean, life is, you know, life is busy, but it's good. And, you know, I think that one of our, 
one of our focuses right now is really trying to build a solid, you know, workforce that will be with us for hopefully a long time to come. And so I've had a lot of fun recently getting to talk to some different candidates. I recently went to a conference where I got to talk to some practicing APPs and hear their stories and hear why they're interested in hospital medicine and potentially sound one day. And also getting to talk to some new grads recently who are interested in coming to work for us. So it's just been really fun to see the variety of advanced practice providers out there and, and hear their stories and, and tell them about sound. That's awesome. Here it goes. <laughs> and for those of you, sorry for the audio, but I have this mic filter that has a mind of its own. So if you hear the drop, apologies, we'll work <laughs> on that for the next episode. <laughs> so stress, yes, I get that, Abe. And we, you know, certainly are dealing with that on the back end with ambassadors for a little more context, you know, the ambassadors serve as temporary labor for sound, but not necessarily temporary labor in the sense that we understand third party uh, or locum labor, but, you know, sound clinicians that are going into sites and, and trying to maintain culture. And currently in our workforce where we are experiencing definitely a surge. I think, April, you probably agree of of temporary labor. And it's been amazing considering coming off the heels of COVID and what we've needed to support our teams. But we, you can you cannot maintain a culture for sound or for any organization um, with temporary labor, you know. And I think that's going to like really be a beautiful segue into what our episode is about today, which is hospital staffing shortages and what we've been experiencing post-COVID. So just, you know, a little background. I think we were already operating our institutions, our hospitals, uh, April, if you would agree or not. Like our hospitals are already operating like marginally prior to 2020, right? We were, staffing was okay. We were kind of subpar, but, you know, COVID hit and we put extra strain on our facilities. We definitely skyrocketed expenses. We lost a little value in our clinicians, whether that was intentional or unintentional. There was definitely stress. There was burnout. There was um, lack of acknowledgement from hospital systems. There was lack of support. There was fear. There was, you know, all kinds of things that occurred after that time that I think could attribute to maybe what's happening today. Our staffing crisis has really led to ongoing delays. I think you'll talk to people in the EM space. For those of you that don't know, you know, sound is not just hospital medicine. We are emergency medicine. We are anesthesia. We staff for critical care, telemedicine. In our emergency medicine space, we, we're just boarding patients in the ER. There's no staff. It, not necessarily just APPs and physicians, but we're talking about nurses, phlebotomy, charge nurses, managers, everything. But that lack of staffing we are experiencing delays. We are prolonged. Uh, we're having prolonged admissions. We are delaying elective surgeries. We're delaying emergent surgeries. And and I think we could agree all of these contributions, they do have adverse outcomes, right? Like sure. the Joint Commission says um, they reported a 19% rise in adverse events in 2022. This is after several decades of creating a culture of safety in healthcare, which to me is kind of a chilling statistic, you know? So, you know, for background, I, I think we could all agree that there's probably a kajillion things that contribute to our, our crisis currently, but in as much as we're tired and burnt out of the word COVID, we, we can't exclude. COVID is maybe being the catalyst for some things that were in place currently. Yeah, I agree. I think it's 
you know, we're all tired of talking about it, but it, it definitely had an impact, you know, acutely. And I think it's going to have a long-term impact. I mean, if you look at, you know, some of the statistics, you know, the, a lot of healthcare facilities, especially hospitals, their attrition rate went from 18% pre-COVID to 30%, as high as 30% during COVID. I mean, we're seeing a little bit improvement now uh, that things have calmed down a little bit, but we're still definitely not back to where we were pre-COVID. And really, our shortages are, are estimated to continue, right? Like by 2025, we're estimated to have huge shortages in, even into 2026 to the point where we're short like 3.2 million healthcare providers potentially by that point. And that's a huge, huge amount, right? And no matter how many we train and and put them in there, that doesn't, I mean, that helps us get them there. But if they're not staying, you know, what are, how we can't maintain the care that we give. And and as you mentioned, Alicia, the impact is is really just widespread. I mean, you can see it from a patient perspective, right, where you're having to wait longer to get into an outpatient clinic to see your primary care physician, I mean, or if you need an outpatient consultant, like you're waiting months rather than previously, hopefully it was a week, right? And you know, in the hospital, you're having longer wait times, you know, from clinician perspectives, you have burnout and just low job satisfaction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so. Right. Facts. You know, I, I think that kind of ties in. And obviously, in my space is when we talk about solutions to temporary staffing, you know, in, in no way am I trying to knock um those that moved into the temporary space, right? Like, what made that space desirable? There, there was more money. Right. And there was flexibility yeah. for scheduling around family time. There, there there may be more incentive. And and while I think those were all things during the pandemic that were necessary and even initially post-pandemic, I, I do think that it is playing a significant role in, in our negative trend that's that's occurring. And we are now favoring temporary labor over focusing on building a culture within the hospital setting or, or, you know, whatever setting, I'm sure this doesn't apply just to hospitals. You know, obviously April and I work specifically within the hospital setting, but I'm sure this applies to offices, home, healthcare, you know, everywhere. But just the idea that whatever worked during that time with, with third party or temporary staffing is, is something that we need to be considering as we're trying to build, rebuild our teams. Um, you spoke specifically to attrition and what's what's occurring across the country. And I think we could all agree, yeah, it's probably some burnout, but there's probably other things that are causing that. I don't know. What are like I don't know. What are your what are your thoughts? I don't think it's just burnout and COVID. I think there's gotta be some or lack of appreciation or finding like I don't know. There what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely some financial impact, right? Like, I mean, it's cost of living has risen, right, since uh, COVID happened. And so, you know, people are looking to have higher compensation. But, you know, the facility that they're working in may not be able to give them that, you know, financially right now. And so they look elsewhere that can. Uh, I think that... Let me interrupt you. One second. Sorry. Just because I think that's a great point. And I, uh, I'll look up the statistic. But somewhere, actually, I was reading that if we take into consideration inflation, what physicians and what nurses were making 20 years ago is nowhere near what they're making now. So the incentive to even go into med school or to go into nursing school is not there because like the financial outcome isn't there. So you say cost of living that obviously just kind of triggered me to think, you know, there's, there's certainly more going on here than just finances is maybe just like lack of appreciation for the role. Yeah, 
I think so. And I mean, you know, tending to, you know, lending to the burnout piece of it, you know, it's just the the schedule, right? I think that has a lot to do with it, right? Like we saw some people who were working in the acute care environment that were looking for a schedule that allowed them more quality time with their family, right? Like, you know, to see kind of all the trauma that everybody went through during COVID and they just, you know, I think valued really spending time with their family during that. And, and now they're looking for schedules that allow that to happen. So it's not just, you know, burnout, but more just kind of quality of life, I guess, really like a more better work-life balance too. Uh, I think that's a huge piece, a huge piece. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you work through the pandemic clinically. I worked through the pandemic clinic clinically. We, you, you don't value your family anymore than you do in those moments where you truly are like on the cusp of life and death. Right. I, I do think the value on family is a huge piece. Um, and, and that is one thing that I've noticed that the, at least the third party, the locums companies, the temp companies, maybe they're not valuing, but they're allowing the clinicians to schedule around their family. There is freedom of scheduling. It's not this rigid scheduling, this, you know, you've got to work this and, and this is just the way it is in this kind of very stoic culture that maybe you and I experienced prior. And maybe if we, when we talk about solution, it's clearly not a, a it's going to be a long term, but in the short term, what are, you know, what are things that we can do? You're a leader in sound, uh, you know, what are things that we do to begin to address these issues and begin to attract people back to medicine um, and back to the W-2 permanent space, not just, you know, the temporary provider space? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, schedule is something that, you know, we've recently evaluated, right, in that, in that regard. And, I mean, I just talked to one of our sites, <clears throat> our advanced practice providers, they were working a shift that, you know, like an evening shift and they're working seven in a row and it's rough, right? By that seventh day, they haven't seen their family and they're exhausted. And and so I said, well, why don't we switch your schedule, right? Like, why don't we change it so that you're working maybe three or four days in a row instead of seven? And we got with the team and we were able to make that happen. So I think being able to have some flexibility when it makes sense, obviously, as long as we're not impacting patient care, you know, our rounders have to have some continuity of care. Uh, to when they're caring for their patients. But when it's feasible, we're definitely embracing those concepts to say maybe this isn't the right schedule for this team or for these providers. Would you agree to that sometimes just acknowledgement of how the role has changed is important? Gone are the days of working in silos. Sometimes there are times that we're going to be at the bedside that we're going to be asked to do things that are within our skill set, but maybe not within our current scope, right? We could help with vital signs. We could assist with adjusting a gown or setting up meals. Our nursing staffs are strained. Our PCAs are strained. Um, the unit coordinators are strained. The the phlebotomists are strained. I mean, everybody in the system is strained. And I think this is the time where we've got to get out of the like, this is what I do. This is my job description, you know, and yeah, this is no, all that I'm sure. going to do. And if this is all that I do, then then you're not part of the solution. I don't know that things change there, but sometimes as leaders, right, the acknowledgement is healthcare has changed. And yeah. how can we adjust to that? You know, one of the things that I think as, as far as solution, and obviously it's a long-term change, but the, the, the EMR, you know, we have gone from being providers that put patients first to providers that have to document first. 
we become tasked with checklists within the EMR and get away from what our calling is, which is truly caring for the patient and, and our love for being at the bedside. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for the EMR, but I, I do think that there are a lot of tasks that pull us away and become very automated roles versus maybe allowing us that space to be, you know, at least a little more liberal with our patients and present yeah. versus worrying about, you know, checklisting and making sure that we documented this so that we're not, you know, so we're in compliance or, you know, the documenting the right things so that we don't get, you know, a core measure failure or, you know, all things that are important, but I think with balance, right? Um, No, I agree. I mean, I think about the time I spend, oh, sorry, with my patients versus the time I spend in the computer, right? I mean, if you think about that in a day, you know, I mean, it's probably a little off in terms of, you know, how much we spend. And none of us, none of us get into this job and go like, you know what? I love spending time in a computer, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, for the most part, you're not just like, I really love Epic. So um, I'm going to go into medicine. We, we go, we pursue patients and we pursue um, our, our ability to, heal or be catalyst in healing or or transform change or something and and the medical record is it, it it's a beautiful thing so don't get me wrong I, I just think there's a balance you know and if we become so focused on are we documenting correctly are we saying the right things doing the right things and lose sight of the patient and that 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 has to be a dissatisfier so as leaders and and people who are trying to attract clinicians you know while kind of leveling the safety piece of the EMR, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's definitely important, right? To have an accurate medical record and, and, you know, really depict what you did for the patients and how you're helping them. But there's got to be some way that we can potentially make it easier, right? If there's, whether it's templates or, you know, whatever we can do to try to make the burden a little less on our clinicians, I think would be helpful. Um, But to get back to your point too, about, you know, just not really being stuck to one role and really, you know, helping the team. I mean, part of, job satisfaction is the team you work with. And, you know, we already talked a little bit about feeling appreciated and supported by your teams. And, and so I've always kind of, you know, if I'm in a room and a patient, I say, do you need anything else? And they say, I need a glass of water. Like I go get them that glass of water. And that's been, you know, just my entire career. Uh, And so I think that us being humble and really, you know, taking the time to help out a teammate that you see is struggling or, you know, help that patient, you know, I've always been one, like if a nurse needed to turn a patient and nobody else was around or whatever, I was there, you know, to do that. And, and I think more than ever, we need to, you know, as clinicians, we need to take on that, those, some of those roles and help out our teams. And, and, you know, that will, I think, help our job satisfaction slash burnout issue too. Agreed. I totally agreed. I love that. I, I love that approach. I think even pre-pandemic, sorry, it's Friday, guys, Um, pre-pandemic, that was always just my approach. And that is largely how I grew up in the system. You know, I went and started as a, you know, PCA into nurse, into nurse practitioner. I, I did every aspect of the job. So none of the aspect of the job was above me. And I, I think that if, like just the little things you you mentioned, like the cup of water. If you think about that call light, how long that call light goes off, mm-hmm. how long that call light's ringing to the unit coordinator, how long that patient's waiting. You could have just walked out of the room and said, "Not my deal, right? Not my right. not my dog, not my fight." Nurse, PCA, that patient needs water. How long that patient would have been prolonged? Then that is dissatisfaction 
a dissatisfier for the patient, the patient's upset, that affects our scores. And on the back end, that really affects our performance overall. And we're, again, we're all stretched. Everybody's stretched currently. We all recognize the shortage. We all recognize the, the strain. But but the most important thing is the patient. And if we keep that piece in mind, then for for me, it's it's much easier task than saying I'm doing your job. Yeah. And and you're not doing your job or or worrying about why or, you know, whatever. So I I, I actually think that water thing was actually a, a kind of a beautiful example. So I don't know. What 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 other thoughts do you have about solution or uh, maybe what it is you do there you know one thing I think you do that I'll highlight that maybe is outside of the bedside um, but for our APPs within sound um, you you've really taken an initiative to acknowledge their value Mm -hmm. we're all stressed like we keep saying just not our APPs our physicians are stressed but for the APP lane you spend some a lot of off time making sure like APP week just happened like you, you like really went above and beyond to make sure that APP every APP within sound got acknowledged for um, their contribution to the organization and you know how that get the, the, the it's the it's sometimes a little pieces that that are really important especially in an organization as large as ours right to to know that you matter what are other things as a director or as a vice president um, and for me as a director, what are things that we can do as leaders to continue to build into our current clinicians, not just who we're, tra- we're seeking to attract, but how do we continue to encourage and build into these clinicians in this current state? Yeah, I mean, another thing that we've been doing is really trying to, uh, you know, get touch points with leadership, because I think that one, it it's important for people to know who their go-to person is, right? Like we used to always hear people say, well, I don't, I didn't know who to call for this, or I'm super frustrated about this, but I don't know who to email or who to call. Uh, and so we make sure that they knew who their person is. So, you know, when we're interviewing our candidates, like they talk to one of our APP leaders um, and our physician lane does the same. They get to talk to their leaders. Uh, and then once they get started in, with our sites, you know, we're in touch with them on a regular basis just to check in, see how things are going, make sure that they know we're there. And then so by the time that they're done their training or onboarding, they're fully familiar with who their person is and they feel extremely comfortable reaching out to us if they need something. You know, some of them will call me just to tell me about a rough day, right? If they don't have a more senior APP uh, at their site. And so just really, I think, trying to build a sense of community and making them feel, belo- you know, a sense of belonging to the organization, I think goes a long way. I like that. You say personal touch, uh, you know, for those of you listening that aren't employees of sound, uh, I, April is accessible. Here's her phone number. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> April truly is accessible by phone. And if you join the org, we'll give you her cell phone number. But um, until then, <laughs> Uh, even what I've learned from April is to to personally be accessible as a leader as well. It's not a hierarchy and and you know digging through a bunch of emails and a you know a bunch of in betweens to get to leadership. I, I believe sound largely um, all of our leaders are accessible, and um, I, I agree with you. That's incredibly important. But I think that one other thing that we're doing uh, at Sound to try to you know, kind of combat this staffing shortage is really looking at our staffing models and seeing, you know, where there's places that we can use integrated care models, uh, you know, or team-based care models. 
um, you know, with our APPs working with our physicians. So we've been expanding those models. Uh, we've been also implementing them at sites that haven't had them before at places where we're having trouble recruiting. And, and also we're working with our hospitals to really increase the autonomy of our APPs where we can and where we can safely do that. You know, during COVID, you know, our APPs really stepped in, you know, I mean, obviously our physicians did too, but they did step into some roles that they hadn't been in before to help out, you know, during the crisis. And so uh, one of those other things that we've been really doing is working with our hospitals to see, you know, if there's areas that we can use our APPs where we haven't used them before, and it makes sense to try to help get our team staffed and, and stable. Yeah, April, those are really great points. And I know that we're starting to run out of time. So I first wanted to thank everybody for joining us on our very first podcast as we work out the kinks and kind of get familiar with this this new platform. Thank you. Um, if you guys have any feedback for the show, if you've got some input about staffing shortages or just even thoughts for other episodes, please feel free to reach out to us. We do have an email address that's on call podcast at soundphysicians.com. We're also active on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is on call with April and Alicia. And feel free to engage with us there. Feel free to send us emails, you know, however you choose to do so. We'd be happy to hear from you. And until next time, you stay well and we'll stay on call.